This is Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture. I'm your host, Amy Brown, and my guests today are Robert Shetterly, the creator of Americans Who Tell the Truth, and filmmaker slash documentarian Richard Kane of Kane Lewis Productions, who's about to release a new film called Truth Tellers, artist Robert Shetterly's journey to uphold our founding ideals. The last time that you were both on WERU was in early 2019, I believe. Uh, a lot has happened since then, and uh, including the working title of the of the uh, film has changed. But we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the series, Americans Who Tell the Truth. And we are also going to talk about Rob Shetterly's latest book, which is about to come out. But first, we want to start with a clip from the film and give you a little bit of taste of that before we start talking with Robert Shetterly and Richard Kane. Years ago, I thought if I ever paint didactic art, that's just the last thing I want to do. However, you don't choose the times you live in. You know, each painting is not just a painting. It's got a quote from that person scratched into the surface of the painting. I almost always begin a conversation talking about Sojourner Truth. Sojourner Truth quote says, now I hear talking about the Constitution and the rights of man, and I comes up and I takes hold of this Constitution, and it's mighty big, and I feels for my rights, but there ain't any there. And then I says, God, what ails this Constitution? And he says to me, Sojourner, there is a little weasel in it. So you might be wondering what it is about telling the truth that I'm interested in. So I'm just going to tell you a little bit about why I'm painting these pictures and then why I think these people who are in these portraits are so important in all of your lives as well as my life. Let's go over and look at Sojourner. I'll tell you why as an example. Because it said we're going to make justice, but it allowed slavery to continue. It said we're going to have justice, but it didn't give any rights to women or Native Americans or free black people. The chasing of that weasel has been the work of activists ever since the Constitution was written. That, to me, is essential in understanding uh, the nature of power and then the nature of how important it is for those who are marginalized, like Sojourner Truth, then to do the work that makes the country honest. Then I says, God, what ails this Constitution? And he says to me, Sojourner, there's a little weasel in it. <laughs> Those are some of the students that you can see in the film. That's one of the times when uh, audio doesn't quite capture it, the kids that you had there with you, Rob, looking at the portrait. So that's a clip from Richard Kane's new film, Truth Tellers, Kane Lewis Productions. The film showcases many of the people whose portraits Rob has painted from the Rob Shetterly portraits of Americans Who Tell the Truth series. And it tells a little bit about each of their stories. And uh, Rob's son, Aaron, pops in periodically to talk about what the process was like behind the scenes as the uh, series got underway. And I was fortunate to have a chance to watch the press screener yesterday, and it's excellent film. It's really well done. I'm happy to welcome you both here today, Richard Kane, Robert Shetterly. Welcome back to WERU. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, Amy. Great Yay, WERU. It's great to have you here. It has been a while. So we're recording via Zoom. It's definitely a big change since the last time we were together, which was April of 2019. I think you were just starting the film at that point, right? And has it been all this time or even longer? 
I'll just jump in. <clears throat> that scene that you saw, Rob, with those kids from Harlem at the uh, Columbia University uh, Low Library, that was the first shoot that we did in this film. That was 2005. And Rob and I had been working together for, I think, eight years at that point, starting with our film on Robert Hamilton. And um, and he, you know, I, I, I was there with him when he uh, experienced 9-11 and he started the series. And I always wondered, you know, well, how, how will this uh, th this impact the work that he's doing. So I kind of kept my ears to the ground and my ear to Rob and, and he's, he was going to up to New, down to New York um, to be with these, with these kids. And I think you had 30 portraits in that low library rotunda, which was gorgeous. And uh, it's something how, you know, 18, what is it? Uh, 17, 16 years later, 15 years later, um, that scene became one of the opening scenes in the film. And um, I was just, uh, just thrilled to use it. Of course, the technology is, is different today, so it doesn't look quite as good. But those kids were so enthusiastic where they jumped right in and they said, yeah, there's a weasel in that constitution. <laughs> and it definitely is. Yeah, that, that show was um, one of the first times we had really to interact with students. And the, the show was split in New York between St. John the Divine and the Low Library at Columbia, and it was thrilling. We had a huge opening there, and a lot of the relatives of people who were in the show, who were still alive, um, you know, came to to be part of it. I mean, Paul Robeson's son was there. Um, Malcolm X's daughters were there. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, Judy Wicks, who was in the show, came up from Philadelphia to be part of it. We had a great time. The thing that's most uh, difficult for me to watch that scene is, how, uh, how much younger I looked. <laughs> I still had hair on the top of my head. <laughs> yeah, but you're just as brilliant today. So Dick, <laughs> and, and talented. So Dick, you've been, you've been working with Rob sort of informally just gathering some video from some of these different events over the years. But at some point you decided we should put these together as a film. Was that what was happening in 2019? Well, a number of the people who were active in, in Americans Tell the Truth said, hey, we've got to get this, this film made. And, and the way to do it is to give me the time to really devote to it. So um, uh, I think it was Doug Cowan who jumped in and said, we've got to raise some money to get you down to Syracuse. This was 2018, November 2018, because Rob was having you know, all 238 of his portraits exhibited there. But, you know, uh, so that's that's really where the film got its start. Um, but, you know, most of my you were asking earlier, you know, how does this film differ from all of my other films? And many of the other films Rob has been involved in, you know, as I'm in the main main master series. And we, you know, sit in my uh, editing studio eating my chocolate and chomping on his carrots and we'd have a, a grand <laughs> old time. But those those films were mo most mostly about the interiority of an artist. You know, what drives them, love, beauty, spirituality, imagination, nature, and the environment. Uh, although Rob is the glue that introduces us to all of these great Americans uh, in uh, American Tell the Truth, Truth Tellers is, is really about the interiority of a nation. You know, our founding ideals, um, our history of the enslavement of, of Africans, white supremacy, uh, power of our financial institutions to prop up the fossil fuel industry. So it's a very different film from all the rest. And I, and I found it, you know, far more of a challenge. 
And it's uh, and that's why it's taken me since 2005 to <laughs> to make this film. I mean, we didn't really jump into it full steam until 2018. And then, you know, the pandemic came and I, I was holding back on releasing the film for the moment when the pandemic would 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 magically just go away and, and we'd be able to show films and audiences again. Well, you know, it's back and uh, but we we needed to release the film and needed to get out there. And uh, and we just premiered it at the Camden International Film Festival uh, uh, Sunday before last. And um and it really is one of the great documentary film festivals in the country. So I'm, I'm, I'm very proud that the, uh, we've, we've, we've got it there. And, uh, and it, the, the response that we're getting um, to the film is, is really tremendous. I'm not, I'm not surprised. I, I want to touch on something real quick, which is a little bit nitpicky. But before we get more into like the making of the movie, who you picked, how you decided who you were going to include out of all of those portraits, the sort of working subtitle for the movie, Journey mm -hmm. to Uphold Our Founding Ideals, I think you make it pretty clear uh, in excerpts from that are included in the film, Rob, that you don't feel like those founding ideals were ever even held up to their own standards to begin with. So before anybody thinks that this is a film about how great we used to be and we've just got to get back to that, that's not what you're saying, right? No, no, not what I'm saying at all. I mean, the, you know, those ideals, well, it's, it's so interesting, you know, because the language and the ideas inherent in the language are so important and resonate not just with Americans, but all over the, the world. You know, people in other countries have, you know, even like Ho Chi Minh, you know, have based their own revolutions on that language, you know, and idolized Thomas Jefferson for, for what he said. Uh, the problem, of course, was that even though those things were said, they were not inhabited by the people who said them. You know, they were not lived up to. Um, you know, this country from the very beginning, I mean, those people who said those things really had, it turned out, no intention of freeing their own slaves, you know, no intention of making real, real equality, living by the same kind of justice that they were, you know, purporting to uh, build a nation around, none of that. And so, you know, what, what's the key here is that, and is so interesting, is that the, the life of those ideals and the reality of them has had to be promoted by the people who were marginalized, the people who were left out. Uh, and that's the reason we, to the extent that we have those things today, and this is a much longer conversation about that extent. Uh, the extent that we have them today is because of the people, you know, not because, you know, rich white men woke up one morning and said, oh my God, we forgot to give rights to women. We forgot to free the slaves. We've, how could we live in this hypocrisy? You know, they were becoming very wealthy in that hypocrisy and very powerful. But they, the reason those ideals have become as prevalent as they are for as many people as they have uh, are is um, because of those people, those marginalized people have fought for them, you know, and said, you can't say that and leave us out. You know, we demand, we demand those rights. And that's the, the struggle that has gone on you know, for hundreds of years and will continue. It's not over. You know, this is, we are nowhere near the society that we pretended to be at the beginning. And that's the, um, I think the real tension in 
the work that I do and the work that uh, this wonderful film that Dick has made, you know, is is all about the kind of courage and perseverance it takes to insist that those ide ideas and ideals be made real, um, you know, because there is enormous resistance in the power structure to uh, allow that for everybody. How did you two decide? Oh, sorry, go ahead, Dick. Well, in the, in the opening of the film, Rob talks about how, uh, you know, we don't choose the time that we live in. But I think the time that we live in really drove, drove this, this film because we, you know, I understood that something particular was happening in our, in our culture. And it's really that the country is, an exper is experiencing an identity crisis. You know, are we a country that embraces our founding ideals of liberty, um, equality, and justice for all? Is it a country that uh, seeks a sustainable existence for all? Or are we a country that stacks the cards against the, the poor and the marginalized and the people of color? You know, um, one of the people that uh, Rob um, painted a portrait of was Bill Ayers, who was a great educator and activist from Chicago. And, and he said that, uh, I'll quote him, Rob is the cartographer of a nation that does not yet exist, um, which I think was, was really wonderful. And I, and I hope to get, I hope to get into um, that in the next film. Uh, my mail was just delivered. <laughs> the joys of doing interviews via Zoom. Uh, so we're doing an interview right now, Mel. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, she's one of the, the co yes, she's Tell also involved in the Why isn't she here anyway? <laughs> I'm a co-producer. You are now one. Yes. Well, I'm glad that you're here. If you want to pull up a chair, if you have time, we're talking about the film. We're recording main currents on WERU, and so. This is sort of as close to live radio as we get right now for the public affairs yeah, program. Excuse me, I, I have to open my mail and uh, review it right now. <laughs> no, no. Uh, I actually, I would love to, but I have pots to uh, clean and get ready to get in the kiln. Oh, well, thank Mel you. Melody, Mel just as, as, as long as Melody's here. What? Melody, I'm talking to Amy about this, uh, about you. <laughs> Melody has always been brought into um, these projects whenever there was art involved, because Melody is the artist of the family. And uh, so she has been my, she and Rob have been my closest collaborators on all these films about artists. So um, bravo for, for Melody's work on this film and also helping well to bring out um, of, of Rob a lot of the personal um, and the nuance um, of, of his work with uh, his project, American Tell the Truth, because you know, at first it was a film just about the, the portrait subjects and we really weren't getting into, you know, under the, the surface of, of who Rob was and what drove him. And that's really what all the, uh, all the previous films that I've made about Maine artists in particular were about. Um, and I think that, uh, and it was Aaron who said that. Um, that's Rob's uh, son. Aaron, Aaron said, Mel, you got to get him out of his comfort zone. I said, okay, I can do that. <laughs> So I sat down with Rob and I said, Rob, today we're going to get you out of your comfort zone. And we did. And he did. He was great. And when you see Good the job. film, and this was, this was actually something that was... I'm uh, going to go. Okay. Thanks, Mel. Thanks, Mel. That was um, encouraged uh, by the folks at uh, the film festival Doc NYC, a woman named uh, Caitlin Boyle, who in encouraged getting more into the kind of the personal perspective of, of Rob Shetterly, who is this man? 
And, you know, it's, it's a balance that is so hard to strike uh, when you're making a film about Americans who tell the truth and they're, you know, how do we limit the, the, the number of people that Rob has selected for his portrait series? Do we limit it to, you know, the most popular? Certainly not. Do we limit it to um, the people who are into war and peace? Well, maybe that's, that's pretty darn important. And we decided because of the times that we're living in that we were going to focus on racial justice and climate change. And, and that's, and, and, but doing that, if you had, you know, 10 people, an audience can't really keep in, in their, in their minds, any details about any, about, you know, more than three or four people. So how do you make a film that people are going to really engage with and get emotionally um, kind of connected with? Um, and we chose to have Rob make that emotional connection with all of these subjects. And, um, and I think that it's, we struck a balance and I think that it, uh, for whatever reason, it, it works. Right. Well, and, which he does anyway. You can tell if you've ever been to any of his events where he's talking to the people interviewing the portrait uh, subjects of his portrait series. That connection is definitely there. Let's play another clip. First, let's remind listeners you're listening to Main Currents on WERUFM. I'm Amy Brown, your host and my guest today. You just heard from Richard Kane of Kane Lewis Productions. And also, uh, is it Me- Melody uh Kane, Lewis Kane. There's Lewis the Kane. Lewis in the Kane Lewis production. I uh, just did a little cameo. And of course, the artist himself, Robert Shetterly, is here with us. I want to play another clip from the film. These are some voices that will be very familiar to WERU listeners because they have been on WERU many times. Both of these folks are subjects of Rob's portraits. It's Sherry Mitchell first and Molly and Dana, both of the Penobscot Nation. We cannot legitimately make a demand unless we are willing to take responsibility for creating a world where that demand can be met. We're at a moment now, though, when the climate movement has a different kind of urgency to it. It it can't really be put off. It's the galvanizing moment for uh, human history that we um, have uh, arrived at a place where all of our individualized rights are colliding with environmental justice, you know, climate change, and survival on the planet. Uh, water is life and life is water. Uh, that's a clear warning that if we do not protect the water, that we're not going to survive on the planet. And so if we can't survive for more than a few days without water, and we have one or two companies around the world who own all the water, they get to decide who lives and who dies. The net has been cast. When it's cinched, everybody's going to feel it. You know, this whole concept of rugged individualism, um, this mythology that's been driven into the minds of people in the Western world um, is one of the, the greatest lies that we've ever been told, where everybody believes that what they're doing is only about the amplification and the elevation of themselves. And so if we can't have that solid foundation of this universal principle of equality, um, that I, I only have enough when everyone else has enough, 
And so what I want to challenge people to do is to find the fire within their own gut and to ignite their power to be part of the solution. Because if we're going to wait for somebody else to solve these problems, we're all going to die. We were all painfully aware that the name of the holiday, Columbus Day, was glorifying the idea that our people were supposed to be wiped out. These are native earrings, uh, and they symbolize the four directions of the compass. What's remarkable is that people like, you know, Malian or Sherry Mitchell or, you know, a lot of the great native leaders have learned to get beyond their own anger, realizing that there's a larger significance here. The first kind of imagery that I had from the dominant society, I guess, of, of how my people were seen was the Disney movie Peter Pan. They find like an Indian camp in Neverland. And the, the Indians are all very red. They have big noses. They're very much the caricature. You see the classic stereotypes of the promiscuous woman, tiger lily princess type thing. There was a proclamation written by the government that set bounties on the scalps of Penobscot men, women, and children. Hunt them all, kill as many as you can, bring them in. The plan was to wipe us out. And they had trading posts where you would bring your furs for different animals and Penobscot people. And these were people, these were colonists that were out starving in the winter. And this probably, uh, you know, they, they may have been very desperate people, and this seemed like a good um, answer. So when you see people as less than human, it makes it easy to treat them as less than human. And we feel like that's all ancient history. And what we don't talk about as much is kind of the second wave of genocide. To the agencies of the government, they are being rapidly brought from their state of comparative savagery and barbarism to one of civilization. So they had government-run boarding schools that would come and remove children from families as young as five years old. And these children were picked up from their houses. Uh, they were beaten for speaking their language. Their hair was cut short. It's just traumatic. So what we are left with are people who are still victims of genocide. Uh, they're still living with those traumatic effects. They've had something killed in them, even if it's not their physical body. And when you see us as equals and as humans, we can better advocate for our rights to clean air and water and housing systems and health care and all these kind of things that affect the bigger things. Um, it's got to start somewhere. Think of the amazing resilience of people who've been treated like that to go on living, to go on hoping. I mean, just look at what people have gone through. And, and hope has survived. You heard last Robert Shetterly, and before that, Molly and Dana, and prior to that, Sherry Mitchell, another clip from the new film out by Richard Kane. We have here with us today, Kane Lewis production called Truth Tellers. Either one of you want to say anything about that clip before I have several more questions for you, but I want to pause here. That's very powerful. 
especially ask, both of those voices together. I want to ask Rob a question, what he thought about, I, I thought it was an extraordinary comment by uh, Molly and Dana. She said, these colonists that were out starving in the winter, and they may have been very desperate people, and this seemed like a good answer. I, I thought that that was extraordinary. What, what, what was your thought about that? It is. It's, um, I, I, I want to th- say that I think it's one of the most remarkable statements in the film itself because of the um, empathetic understanding that Mullian voices there yeah. for the condition of the uh, poor white columnists who were actually scalping her people. You know, for, for profit so that they could stay alive. But to underst- for her to understand what they may have been going through and why, if they've been taught that these people, the natives, are less than human, that that seemed like an option for them, their own survival. I mean, for her to understand that and to actually suggest that she has some sympathy for that mm-hmm. is astounding. And, you know, I think from that whole series, that, that those series of clips with, for Sherry and then Mollyan, um, you get this sense that um, they're still offering us another chance, you know, to reckon with our own past and then use their wisdom, you know, to reshape our future so that we can survive. I mean, it's, it's a kind of generosity of spirit, both to understand the horrible inhumanity, but to also count on our humanity, you know, to do it better in the future by embracing theirs. I I, I find it extraordinary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very powerful clip. So what was your first portrait? Who was the subject of your, I I remember back right after 9-11, Rob, I think the first time I met you, you had kind of, we were at the federal building, I think Olympia Snow's conference room when her office was still there, just post 9-11. And we were all camped out in the room waiting for the police to show up. I was reporting on it, calling in live reports to WERU, but the rest of you were waiting to get arrested. And you were starting to sketch someone then. I don't know if that was your first one. I don't even remember who it was. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Of course I remember. <laughs> we, were, <laughs> we were all arrested. That ended up in a, in a powerful case that, that uh, mm-hmm. we were acquitted on. But I, I think that, um, you know, that, that was when I was, you know, probably had just done or was working on the first portrait, which was Walt Whitman. But just for your listeners, I mean, to remind them, you know, this wasn't a response to 9-11. It was a response to the propaganda and lies by our government to uh, enable and justify the attack on Iraq. Right. I mean, that was, that was the thing that, that made me give up my former career as an artist and decide to, as, as we say in the film, you know, you don't choose the times you live in, uh, to give all the work up I had done for years and years and start on something I knew nothing about. I had never painted a portrait. But I had to find a way to reconcile uh, myself with this country in a way that was not just about anger, you know, and it was by celebrating the people from this country who have done the most to try to make us be honest. And um, that was the healing part of this, the therapeutic part of this whole process. So I was just beginning at that point. And I actually at that time, I had no idea that it would become 20 years of work or more, you know, right. it's, I was thinking I'd paint a few portraits, I'd feel better, I'd go back to being a surrealist. You know, so it was, it was just uh, still 
uh, an idea with without much progress. The portraits are really powerful. And at the time, Jim Harney had just returned from a, I think, a sanctions related delegation to Iraq and had these pictures of children that were close ups that a lot of the protesters held. And then your portrait started to be in the mix as well. And I think there's something about your portraits in particular are really um they're almost photographic, but they're beyond that. The, I, I, how do you choose which express? Are you going for a particular expression because they are not only just so detailed that you feel like you really are looking in the person's face, but they tend to have a facial expression that matches what they're saying, or maybe I'm just seeing that, but do you go for a particular look or expression or how do you decide which, how does that process work? I'm, I'm definitely going for a particular expression and it, and it works in different ways. I, you know, when I'm interviewing people and talking to them about the portrait I'm going to paint, I often ask them to be thinking about where they draw their own energy from, what it is that they really love, why they do the work they do, what sustains them. I try to get them in that frame of mind and then I ask them to look right in the lens of the, because I'm taking pictures for them to work from, you know, look in the lens of the camera and feel those things. And, uh, and then it's my job, you know, as an artist to make sure that I capture that sense of that interiority of the person and what it is that they feel, what drives them. And that part is, uh, for me, the process then of painting, um, I mean, when you ask people to demonstrate to, for you, those kinds of feelings. You're asking them to be vulnerable and open in a way that uh, sometimes they might not be. And the process for me then of painting is, you know, is almost like falling in love. I mean, I just look in their eyes while I'm painting them, when I get the eyes to come to life in, in the, on the panel I'm painting. And, you know, it's a conversation then between me and the person about how can I best elicit, you know, from you the power of your integrity and your compassion, your love, your sometimes your rage or sacred rage, as Terry Tempest Williams calls it, you know, try to get that all there so that anybody else then looking at them will feel what I was feeling, you know, both why I painted that person and what I saw when I was looking into their face. And that's why, you know, I think the portraits, you know, people look at the into the eyes of the portrait because they're all except for one or two are looking right at you. And then they see that there's a quote there that explains something about that look, you know, that gaze. And so the combination of the look, the quote, you know, the gaze, and then in a sense, the ask, because each one of them is asking something of you. You know, you can't just look at this person and read those words without saying to yourself, well, what should I do about this? You know, does this mean me? You know, should I engage in some way that I haven't before, because that was my question. And then, then that is what I hope other people feel. And, um, but that's, you're exactly right, Amy. And that's, I mean, that's the whole intent of this. It's not, you know, it's not about my, you know, whatever way to paint a portrait that is about me. I think that what, what works here is that I've made the portraits all about the people themselves, you know, not about me. And you've been multimedia, like right from the start. I mean, you've had the portrait, but then you have a quote uh, there was the initial book that had some of the initial portraits in it. Uh, the film that is coming out now 
and we should talk about where people can see that in another book as well. So let's hop back to the film for a moment just to talk about the logistics of getting a chance to see that. Is that something people can only see online at this point? If they miss the Camden International Film Festival, where do they go to view it? Well, we're right in the middle of the, 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 the beginning of the process of developing an educational tour. And that will um, include um, drive-in theaters, perhaps. Um, and it'll, it'll be available locally sometime in the next few weeks. Um, you know, I want to talk about the, the, the purpose of the film. And I think it, its purpose was, is really to have an impact. And I think that's what Rob is talking about when his, he, he writes a quote from them and, and there's an ask. And I think that we're asking people to become more active. Um, and he calls these people, you know, models of courageous citizenship. So he's asking people to, and the subjects are asking people to have more courage, to ignite the, as Sherry Mitchell uh, said to ignite the fire within them to bring a greater respect for truth. So I, I think that that's it's important for the film to have an impact, and um, and that's why we need to get so many more people out there to see this film, to be inspired by it, to become active in in their community, in our nation. Because today we're we we're in a situation where you know we need more and more people to um, for their voices to be heard. Amy, let me say, may I respond to that just a little bit? Of course. Uh, one of the one of the people that I painted early on is somebody that almost everybody knows, Helen Keller. And you know, everybody knows what she meant to the change in in attitude toward people with disabilities in this country and continues to mean. Uh, what a lot of people don't know about her is how political she was. That she was a real socialist and she was an active socialist. Um, but the quote that's on her painting in a, in a way is uh, one of the most key in this whole, in the whole series and in the process. And by the way, there are almost 260 paintings now. This is an obsessive compulsive disorder that I can't let go. But um, so Helen Keller says, when you come to think of it, there are no such things as divine, immutable or inalienable rights. I mean, she's saying, you know, the Declaration of Independence, baloney. You know, in a way, it's just words on paper. There are no such things as divine, immutable, or inalienable rights. Rights, rights, she says, are things we get when we have the strength to make good our claim on them. I mean, she is saying that what, you know, what Dick was just saying that, you know, democracy depends on courage, basically. You know, we have People, I mean, just listen to the media today. They're always talking about our democracy, our democracy, our democracy. You know, this country for since its beginning has tried to subvert our democracy and has been very successful at it in enormous ways. It hasn't just been happening in the last couple of years with these voter suppression movements, you know. That's just the, the latest incarnation of it. But, you know, it all depends on the, on the courage of people to demand that the words become real. And that's what Helen Keller was talking about. And that's what this film is asking you to do, you know, to realize that one thing, you know, we don't really live in a democracy unless we continually demand that it be a democracy. We don't really have justice unless we demand justice. It's as simple as that, really. Who was the last portrait that you did? Or are you working on one now? 
I am. I uh, the last one. I guess I would. I mean, I've done. I'm kind of in a hot streak again. I, I kind of slowed down for a bit, and now I'm, now I'm painting again pretty rapidly. But uh, the one I would mention first is uh, Daniel Hale. You know, he's the drone whistleblower who's been sentenced to prison now for having told the truth about the U.S.'s drone policy. That, in fact, we kill very few people who are may you know even contemplate you know, attacks on this country or terrorist acts, and that 90% of the people we kill generally are civilians, women, children, farmers, you know, people at parties, uh, and that often we justify that by calling them all any enemy combatants when in fact uh, they are civilians who happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And, and even the people we justify killing by, you know, saying that these are potential terrorists have never been a tried in court. I mean, this is not about the rule of law. You know, this is and a lot of those people that are killed, um, you know, it, it's how do we know, you know, about whether they're, as they as they say, the bad guys or not. You know, it's, it's a atrocious process, this, these drone killings. And Daniel Hale, who was, uh, you know, working in the Air Force as a, as a person who actually helped find and pinpoint the targets, um, came to realize that he was doing an unconscionable thing and he couldn't live with himself and finally realized he had to go public about it. By the way, if, if people want to understand what this is really like, there's a, a docu amazing documentary about this called National Bird, which you can actually watch and stream online, which tells the story of the, the drone whistleblowers and then goes to Afghanistan and interviews the people who were the victims. So anyway, I've just, I've just painted um, uh, Daniel Hale and I very, feel very good about that. And in terms of voter suppression, I just finished a painting of Stacey Abrams, um, and that, which hasn't even been unveiled yet, hasn't, isn't up on the website yet, but will be fairly soon. And that website is americanswhotellthetruth.com or .org? .org. .org. We're a, a nonprofit. Yeah. All right. Should mention to people again that you are listening to Main Currents on WERUFM. I'm Amy Brown. That was artist Robert Shatterly, you just heard of Americans Who Tell the Truth. And prior to that, was uh, Richard Kane. Uh, we're talking today about the new film from Kane Lewis Productions called Truth Tellers, which features uh, several in a sort of audio collage of several of the different subjects of your portraits, some interpersonal discussions between people, but also the pictures of the portraits themselves and uh, background information. It's really fast moving. I think it's just over an hour long, right? It, it, yeah, I just watched it yesterday and it went really, really quickly. It's very compelling and it really grabs the attention. You must have had a hard time narrowing it down to the number of people that you could fit in there, though. Right. Well, when you have 250 people to choose right. from, you know, how do you how do you focus? And, um, you know, the focus, and as I said before, the glue is Rob, but um, it was, a, as a, it's a very challenging, uh, challenging film to make. And, uh, but I, as I said, I think that we, uh, we struck the balance. Uh, if anyone is interested in, in uh, getting on a, a list uh, or is interested in having the film screened, um, you should go to our website, truthtellersfilm.com truthtellersfilm.com and you can get your name uh, there and ask questions and arrange for uh, screenings at your university, your school, um, art center, museum, 
You know, we're we're starting to move in the direction of uh, of getting the film out as far and wide as we can, and that's why we have an impact producer. Her name is uh, Marga Varea, who's very very savvy and experienced in uh, in getting documentaries, particularly about racial uh, justice. Um, she's uh, been impact producer for many films, um, so we're we're following her lead, and she's beginning to open up many many doors for this film and for Americans to Tell the Truth. And we're piggybacking on to, uh, you know, Americans Tell the Truth. They'll have many uh, events where the film will be shown. And um, as well as the, the book, uh, Rob's latest book, uh, Portraits of Racial Justice, um, published by New Village Press. Um, it's being released at the same time as the film. So we're all benefiting from a, a, a much greater awareness uh, of Americans Tell the Truth. And, and I think that this will have an impact on the conversation in our country that we're dealing with today. Today, you know, people need to be, you know, more understanding of uh, the uh, white supremacy and um, uh, the great contributions of the of people of color in this nation and our nation's history. Well, that leads into another clip. Let's play this last short clip and then come back and talk a little bit about portraits of racial justice. Yes, here we go. I remove the flag, not only in defiance of those who enslaved my ancestors, but also in defiance of the oppression that continues against black people globally. The turning point for me was really 2013. Um, there were two key things that happened in the summer of 2013. One, the Supreme Court pretty much gutted the Voting Rights Act. Um, and my home state of North Carolina went to work right away trying to pass new laws to suppress the vote. Um, and then, of course, we had the Trayvon Martin case. We had the acquittal of George Zimmerman in the killing of Trayvon Martin. And those two events happening as they did at that same time, it felt to me like all of a sudden we were back in 1954. And then, of course, in 2015, we had this incident where a young white supremacist went from Columbia, South Carolina, where uh, the state had been flying the Confederate flag at its capital since 1961 and shot and killed nine black parishioners during a prayer meeting, including the pastor of the church, who was also a state senator, who just days before being gunned down in his own church had succeeded in getting body camera legislation passed in response to the Walter Scott case, another high-profile case of an unarmed black man being shot and killed by police. So there we were in the summer of 2015 in the context of all of this that was happening. Uh, the United States flag was lowered to half staff, but the Confederate flag in South Carolina was still at the top of its pole. And so we had this whole visual of Clementa Pinckney having his casket processed through the Capitol. And there's the you know, United States flag lowered and there's the Confederate flag at the top of the pole. All of that was just so deeply offensive for me, but that I decided if we can figure out a way to take that down, I'm willing to go to jail for that. We are not waiting on the state of South Carolina to tell us that our lives matter and to regard us with a measure of human dignity.
courage is really not about the absence of fear. I can attest to that, right? Courage is about the belief that there is something greater than your fear. It is about staring down fear and having faith that we can make a better world. And we also definitely did it in the same spirit of civil disobedience that Martin Luther King argued through letter in a Birmingham jail, that there are times when we have to take action to create a tension that forces a community that has refused to confront an issue to confront it. So by taking the flag down, we then force the state of South Carolina to make a decision whether to leave the flag down or raise it back up. I just don't think that anything that I have done up to this point in time can be as dangerous as the type of situation that a Fannie Lou Hamer faced. That is Bree Newsom Bass. I should have mentioned that at the beginning of the clip, but people may have recognized her. I'm sure a lot of the listeners, if not most of the listeners, have seen that video clip. But if they don't, it's in the film again. What what uh, quote goes on her portrait? Is it what she said when she was on the flagpole, Rob? No, it's it's a, uh, I don't I I couldn't quote it for you exactly right now, but it's um, it's an explanation of why she did it, and then she says at the end of it that um, she's really making this statement and doing this for young black girls so that they can see what it means to be you know a a free person and a black woman in this society and the kind of actions that are necessary. Uh, she's trying to. Uh, do this to create a world that, um, or a country that honors the lives of, of black people and particularly um, black women. She um, set such a sort of a, a superhero kind of role model with the climbing gear and just saying the heck with it. Um, you know, she's going up to the top of that flagpole, even with the police yelling at her around her. I mean, it's a very compelling image too, in addition to the words. Oh, totally. I, I, I could quote, I can uh, recite her quote. I removed the flag not only in defiance of those who enslaved my ancestors in the southern United States, but also in defiance of the oppression that continues against black people globally. I did it for all the fierce black women on the front lines of the movement and for all the little black girls who were watching us. I did it because I am free. Talk about courage. Climbing that pole was an in incredible act of uh, disobedience. Um, for the sake of all of us. Also, there's something that doesn't really come out in the film, but is, is extremely important. You know, this wasn't just her acting alone. She had a team of about 10 people who had been thinking for, for uh, some period of time about how to take it down and to do it in a way that would have the most strategic effect. And so there was her helper that day down below was a young white man who was catching her as she came down the pole and then grabbing the flag. And they had, they also had a filmmaker who was there photographing the whole thing. And it was thinking that, you know, those images, the black woman climbing the pole, you know, not a black man, but a black woman with that courage to climb the pole, coming down and being helped down by a, a white, you know, ally. And then having the image uh, of all that happening go out to the world, you know, that this was the way you would actually, um, you know, have a huge effect by doing this. This would carry the message the furthest. And she was absolutely right, you know. So they thought about that. I mean, that's so important about, you know, as activists, when we think about the power of the actions we do, that sometimes are 
um, you know, seem to be just lost and buried. It, you know, who cares? You know, it disappears very quickly. But they were thinking ahead in a way that made this much more powerful. And it makes a huge statement right in the middle of this film. Yeah, and it about definitely two does. Or three weeks, three, two or three weeks later, the South Carolina legislature voted to remove the Confederate flag from the, the state uh, capitol grounds. Mm -hmm. So they were effective. Yeah. Uh, Rob, your latest book is Portraits of Racial Justice. Is this the, how many books have come out of the portrait series? I assume this is affiliated to, or no? Yeah, this, this is actually the, the, just the second book. But um, this is a really interesting um, series that's going to happen now. This is New Village Press in New York wants to do this book. And then exactly a year from now, we're going to do a book called, we think, called Earth, uh, Portraits of Earth Justice, Americans Who Tell the Truth which will have, you know, climate activists and environmentalists and uh, people like that. And one thing that is in the racial justice book are essays by four of the people whose paintings are in the book. And for the earth justice book, we will do the same thing, but th this time it'll be probably six essays uh, by people like um, Diane Wilson, Bill McKibben, you know, folks like that writing in, in this book. In the first book, it's Ai-jen Poo. I don't know if you ever interviewed her, Amy, Ai-jen Poo? I don't think so. Founder of the National Domestic Workers Alliance. I know and for a long time, we did a series uh, on voices years ago, you and I, Rob, where you would come on and interview some of the subjects of your portraits. Right. And I was basically was doing tech support for you, but I don't think that's one of them. But Sherry, Sherry Mitchell has a, an essay in the racial justice book uh, talking about white supremacy. Dave Zirin, who's a great sports columnist, progressive sports columnist who wrote, he was asked by, by Howard Zinn to write a, a history of, a people's history of sports in this country. And he's very famous for writing that and continues to be that. So he's writing a, an essay that looks at, um, you know, racial justice in our athletics. Anyway, it's, it's a powerful book. Big subject now. So is that out already? Is that available to people yet? It just, it just came out a week ago. Yeah, I don't. I don't even think it's in the bookstores around here yet. But it's it's available online or from New Village Press. But it will be very soon. You check local bookstores for that. Great. So, what's next for you guys? We're focused on uh, getting truth tellers out far and wide and entering film festivals. And we'll be at the uh, uh, Virginia Film Festival on October thirty first. I'll wear a mask. Um, well, oh, so me, it's inside, huh? In Charlottesville. Yeah, the, um, let me say that the, you know, one of the primary goals all along, um, well, after just a couple of years of the, from the beginning of the Americans Tell the Truth project has been education. And so we have our own education project in the state of Maine called the Samantha Smith Challenge. And we are about to introduce this year's challenge. And we are working with uh, some other organizations to see if how we can um, broaden that challenge uh, and that educational work across the country. And we're focused primarily on middle grades, middle school kids. But the portraits have been, you know, in more than 35 states now, and they go mostly to colleges and schools and museums and libraries. But we're trying to, and, and for the last year and a half because of COVID, you know, all that has stopped except by Zoom. But we're, I'm starting to go out in person again. Next week, I'll be in some a couple of high schools in Vermont and then do something the week after that in New Hampshire. So hopefully, um, 
we'll be able to really get that educational work going again because it, it seems to to us and this is a part of the you know the, the importance of the film as well as the importance of the portraits is all about education what is our true history who are we really as a people and what are our, is our capacity to act you know not only to make ourselves more honest but to create a sustainable world for all of us and that's the inherent message in all of this. So if an educator wants to uh, take part in that program, do they just get in touch through your website and do they pick which portraits they want you to bring or how does that all work? Well, if they're interested in the, in the Samantha Smith challenge, they should go on the website and, and if you just, it's right there on the front page on the homepage is a, a big piece about it. It's just click on it. It tells you how to get involved. But we've also been started something new. Our education director, uh, Connie Carter, uh, about a year ago, started putting up a whole new thing on our website called Speaking Truth to Youth, which are uh, short interviews with portrait subjects. There are now, I think, 40 of them. And it's just it's an enormous array of, of these people in the portraits talking directly to kids about how their own activism started, where they find courage and hope, and then what they what their advice is for uh, you know, how to engage the most important issues in their lives. It's, it, they're very powerful and they're very simple and they're short. And we, we think that that's one of the best educational tools we have right now. And, and in the next um, few couple of months or so, Connie Carter, the education director at the American Teletruth and Melody are going to be creating a, a curriculum guide as a companion to a shortened version of this film, an educational version uh, which we're going to be cutting it down to 15 minutes. Not sure how we're going to do that, but uh, I'm working on, an, on a new um, trailer to the film, uh, which will be like 90 seconds. And I've really whittled it down to, you know, little tiny clips of, of all of these portrait subjects. And it's, I think the shorter it gets, the more powerful it gets. So uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that this piece will uh, really get uh, a lot of interest in, in the schools. I, I've actually thought that was the strength of the film itself is that there's little clips that there's so much of it and it's not all like there's the clips that I selected kind of ended on a note of hope even, which was a pretty amazing given the subjects that are being discussed. So, Well, you know, this is a, uh, Amy, this is an art project and we, um, it ends the, the last several minutes of the film are about music and Reggie Harris singing and Reggie and I talking about uh, some of the issues in the film and, and in the portraits. And then, you know, just, you know, the, the beautiful passionate singing that he does, you know, carries that ending of the film and, you know, it leaves you in that place. You know, that's what art is supposed to do, not just, you know, take you to deep and, and hard places, but also, give you hope and catharsis at the same time. And that's what happens at the end of the film. Right. Well, I wanted, we're out of time. I wanted to make sure at the end here that we read a, a little bit of feedback that you received from a local uh, community member who has seen the film. And then just, I'll get back to you to give your websites one more time as we wrap up. This is uh, a sort of a review of the film by Anne Ferreira, who wrote, quote, I am struggling to find words that can adequately describe the experience I had watching Truth Tellers. As the power of these stories settled into my heart and mind, I realized that watching the film was like being on pilgrimage, one holy site after another, 
one holy troublemaker. I love that. One holy troublemaker after another. I also found myself thinking of the mosaic memorial that you, Rob, along with Lily Ye et al., created in Rwanda. The film was like that. Many broken pieces, injustices brought together to, uh, that was injustices, brought together to make a beautiful whole. I do think that it's the beauty and courage of each person painted that will create the fierce urgency to act among all who will view the film from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. So that's a review of Truth Tellers by Ann Ferreira. That's all we have time for today. Uh, thank you for being with me, Robert Shetterly of Americans Who Tell the Truth, Richard Kane, Kane Lewis Productions. Uh, Richard, what, what's your website? Uh, truthtellersfilm.com. Okay. And Rob? Americans Who Tell the Truth.org. Let's not make it another two and a half years before we talk again. Thank you so much, Amy and WERU. What a great community radio station. Yes, what a great, great community. You. Great to have you here. And so you can catch Main Currents on the first Tuesday of every month at four o'clock, only here on Community Radio, WERU FM 89.9 Blue Hill, and streaming online at WERU.org. Main Currents, independent local news, views, and culture. I'm your host, Amy Brown. Thanks for listening.